association with the Wayland Utani Bulletin and SciFi.com, this is Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. We are the only exclusively alien podcast of its kind, with your hosts, J.M. Prater and Peter Hay. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. And all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. Hello, welcome to the Perfect Organism podcast, the premier alien saga podcast. I am Peter, one of the hosts, and today I'm joined by... Jamie. And today uh, we're going to be coming back after a small hiatus from our regular scheduled programming. And today we're going to talk about some of the newest news about Alien Covenant. And then we'll go from there and see where that goes. Yeah, so the big news is, of course, uh, Michael Fassbender in an interview for um, related to X-Men Apocalypse, a film I have no intention of seeing. Um, <laughs> Me neither. I just, it just doesn't look at all interesting to me. I'm kind of over the X-Men. I'm over the X-Men as directed by Brian Singer. Let, let me be clear. Um, but uh, Fassbender talked about Alien Covenant. And at first, uh, Aaron Percival, who runs AVP Galaxy, the the website and the um, Facebook page, he posted the link and there was a little bit, a, a clip in there that's or a, a, a quote saying... Um, I don't know, it's very te- technological, very primitive. And I thought, well, if that's all he says, that's nothing. Um, that doesn't give me anything. But then I, I uh, read the entire bit of the interview, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised and really uh, intrigued. Did you read the whole thing? I did not. I'm just skimming over it now. Uh, he's on the book saying, there are going to be great sets and aliens coming out of people Michael promised about Ridley's Covenant the second chapter in a prequel trilogy that started with Prometheus. Then he went on to say, It's amazing to watch Ridley work. I try to soak up as much knowledge as I can from him because having worked on his kind of films a few times and having seen how many moving parts there are, how many people work on the set and how many departments need attention in the language, he's an absolute master. And it also goes on to say that he doesn't give any specific details about the upcoming film but he does talk about the sets, insinuating that the film won't look as pristine as Prometheus did, which I think is a good step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think um, I think Prometheus was a beautiful film uh, in tr- aesthetically. I mean, you couldn't, it was great, but it didn't quite fit in with the world of Alien, even though it took place before. Of course, the argument was always, well, it was a scientific ship, which really I don't really think it was because Wayland wasn't a scientist, um, but it was a, a ship owned by a trillionaire or a billionaire or whatever. Right. Um, so, but the aesthetic was very, it didn't feel claustrophobic, not that it needed to or had to, but it, there was a little bit of difference between Alien and Prometheus. And so to hear that it's going back to the roots of Alien, that, that sounds really interesting to me. Right. And I definitely think a lot of it has to do with the criticisms from Prometheus. Yeah. I mean, you have to consider this guy's well aware of all of his criticisms. And I think Alien Covenant in general is going to be his way of saying, well, I mean, this is what I wanted to do. 
and I'm sorry it took long to get here, but this is <laughs> yeah. this is this is gonna get us where we need to go. That that'll be the about face. For yeah, sure. yeah. Um, this next quote that I'll read um, by Fassbender, I thought was particularly particularly. I can say that word right. Intriguing. He says, the sets are fantastic. Again, the most impressive sets I've seen since Prometheus, which was the original setting. It's a fantastic mixture of height and technology and primitive elements. The way that I can explain it is the same way that Ridley did Blade Runner, which I thought, wow. Okay, so he's taking it. I mean, Blade Runner was a similar aesthetic to Alien. It was dirty, but technological, you know, right. uh, technologically advanced, but yet dirty, filthy. So... Comparing it to Blade Runner and not having him comparing it to Alien is very interesting to me. Well, it kind of implies that there's going to be more of that lived-in uh, George Lucas vibe. Yeah, because he kind of, you know, he kind of set the stage for that George Lucas. Because up until that point, everything was all chrome and shiny and new. Yeah, and I everything... think 2001 was a step in a different direction for science fiction in terms yeah. of the aesthetic. But, man, Ridley, when he builds worlds, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing at that. I mean, just the, the minutia of detail. And, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, there, no one can do it better than Ridley Scott. Um, here's hoping that uh, not, it not, just doesn't just look right, but it's also, you know, made right. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, and we're going to do an episode um, a after this one that's going to really detail the uh, marketing of the Alien films leading up through Prometheus, starting through Covenant, um, which I think is going to be a fascinating episode. We're going to have a, a friend of ours named Daryl Curtis on who we're going to talk to and hear about who he is and what he's done. Um but let's see, what was my larger point I'm bringing? Oh, um, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, I, I was just reading this quote uh, by this by Shane Black. Shane Black is rebooting the Predator films. Now, this is, listen clearly, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the only time I'll probably ever talk about Predator. Even <laughs> though I think the Predator films I enjoy and I've seen, I just don't like a mixing, mixing of the two. But let me get to where Shane Black, um, Shane Black had some really, really good insights um, and it made me think about the Alien films right away. Shane Black, um, who will be the directing the next Predator film, uh, was approached by uh, an interviewer or someone asking him some questions about the details of the Predator costume. I just want to read the quote because I feel like it's kind of related um, to the Alien series a little bit or the, the new films that they're working on. And it's something that I take seriously. And it's something that obviously Shane Black takes seriously. So... Black and Fred, I'm reading from uh, Dark Horizons, Black and Fred Decker are co-writing the film, and Black was asked if he plans to change the Stan Winston-designed iconic costume from the original. Uh -huh. um, and Black says, it's not to improve, it's, it's, it's make it fun, make it different, make it organically different. So what's the extension of that sense that's exciting? There have been a lot of changes to Stan Winston's design over the years. These different Predator movies have done different things. Ultimately, it's not about design to me. It's about the story you want to tell. There are people who are always going to agonize over Iron Man, what color his suit is. Maybe this weapon does a new thing, but if the story is not good, I don't give a shit what color the suit is. The Predator we're doing, in The Predator, we're doing a lot of upgrades to what you would consider to be the traditional Predator technology and look. But hopefully, the story is what's going to drag people in, not just the attention to the minutia. And I thought this was right on point. I... I took a cap uh, capture of this and I posted it to the Wayland Utani Bulletin, which is our sponsored uh, kind of official 
group that we're a part of as uh, a podcast. And um, just saying, hey, you know, this is what's important to me. And I feel like in terms of the alien films, story, 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 story. It doesn't matter if it's a good lived-in feel, if it's authentic to the alien films, if it even harkens back. That doesn't matter. It will be cool, but it doesn't matter if the story is no good. Um, and so far, what I have seen from Covenant, and I think they're trying to keep the, the details of the story wrapped, but so far what I've seen is Ridley Scott saying, or seen or heard, um, oh yeah, we're going to have another chestburster scene that's going to rival Kane's chestburster scene. And then we saw a picture of the patch that said Wayland yutani um, from uh, the first kind of image from Prometheus, or from Covenant. Um, and really, it's not about the costumes. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about the alien. It's about the story. And it's about getting the characters right and the dialogue right. So we'll Absolutely. see. Um, I'm not at all judging. I'm very hopeful. I think Covenant's going to be right on point. But uh, those are my thoughts. Well, we can only hope, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and the, the, the drum roll is steadily happening. I mean, we're seeing more and more. Um, now, you know, of course, now we're hearing from Fassbender about what his take is. Um, and his thoughts. Um, I have the suspicion that they're going to keep a lot of this under wraps. What do you think? Well, I do think it's going to be pretty airtight, like Star Wars. Um, but if if people from the set keep leaking more pictures and that kind of thing, then it makes you wonder, like, you know, should I be avoiding all the leaks and this kind of thing? Um, I, I try to. Because I've had things spoiled for me in the past before. Mm -hmm. And it's not always things that, like, you have to seek out. Sometimes they're just posted everywhere. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, a year and a half before Jurassic World came out, I, uh, I had just signed up for Reddit at that time. And I saw pictures from all the sets. And it just kind of spoiled it all for me. Like, wow, you know, this, this takes away the whole mystery of seeing it for the first time again. Yeah, yeah. But I hear you. I... I while I say that, I am hopeful that we will see more, whether that's official or unofficial, from the production in the coming months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll certainly still see more, but I, I think that they, I do not believe that they are going to oversaturate us like they did. Well, I don't feel like Prometheus was an oversaturation, and of course we're going to get into more of this and talk about the other Alien films and how they were marketed in our next episode. It's just kind of a quick... Uh, attention to what Fassbender um, discussed in his interview. I thought it was important that we talk about it and get this uh, kind of small uh, mini episode out. Um, but I really believe that um, Covenant, they're going to keep it quiet. Um, they're not going to uh, sell us a film that we're not going to see, which I think was uh, partly the issue with Prometheus. They sold us a film through advertising, uh, which wasn't the film that we saw. Um, right. In many ways, and that wasn't just through imagery. It was through interviews with Damon Lindelof. It was interviews with um, Ridley Scott. Oh, it is, but it isn't. But it is. Is it? Is it really? I don't know. Um, again, playing into the idea that the audience is stupid, and we don't know what we're seeing. Um, that is. Is that the same dereliction? I mean, is this an, is this an alien film? Of course it was. Of course it was an alien film. Um, even if it didn't have the you know the 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 traditional tropes, it had versions of the traditional tropes. And I don't think that they're going to go down that same path, same path with Covenant. I think they're really going to be straightforward. I think it's going to be mysterious. Um, even that first image of the patch on um, 
on uh, the patch on the suit from Covenant reminded me a lot of Alien. Uh, just the texture of, of that little portion of the suit, cloth. It was cloth, much like the suits from Alien. Cloth. Um, so, I, I mean, it might be just me, me reading too far into it. But uh, uh, I, I'm excited, and I really, uh, hopefully the mystery comes back. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture of the suit now. It definitely looks like the old um, clunky spacesuits that uh, the NASA astronauts wore. But you can yeah. also see there's like some nylon, like uh, some kind of new backpack strap or something. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, yeah. definitely looking like uh, they're going backwards with this one in a good way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it should should really really be interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna get back to something that uh, Fassbender talked about again. I know I mentioned it about him um, kind of comparing it to Blade Runner, and I'm just curious what kind of ship this is gonna be. Like, if it's gonna be a ship that's more. I mean, I'm, is this ship gonna be more in line with the Nostromo in terms of the tech? Uh, the Prometheus ship was very streamlined. It was very new. It was very slick. Um, it didn't have the weight or gravitas of the Nostromo. Of course, the Nostromo was a towing vehicle, um, and it was very utilitarian, and um, it served a very specific function. So it was going to look a little bit bulkier. Um, and well, there's always that comparison that the Nostromo was a garbage truck, whereas the Prometheus was <laughs> like a research vessel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and there, I think that's a worthy comparison. There were two very, very different ships. But, of course... One was made in 19, you know, actually, you know, when Alien was made, it was probably starting in 77, 78, and then it was released in 79. So you have technology and concept designs from 78 or 77, and then you have a film with a ship designed in 2010 or 2011. So there's a lot of span there. So it's going to look new. Um, it's always a, it's always a, um, a crapshoot, I think, um, when you're kind of making a sequel or a prequel, um, or sidequel, as they call them, to films that already exist. Um, and this is something Neil Blomkamp even um, discussed. But uh, And it's something that even uh, Star Wars Rogue One, um, they're making like kind of a prequel to A New Hope. But if you've seen the trailers, it is dead on point. It looks like it was made in the 70s. Absolutely on point. Um, and that's a tricky, tricky thing to do. Um, to make a film that feels right, that looks right, and that doesn't look like, oh, yeah, this was made 30 years later, you know? Well, part of the thing with revisiting a retro franchise like that is you have to consider the conditions and the technology in which the film was produced at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, in the 70s, I don't think there was anything digital that took up anything less than the size of an entire room. Yeah. It was just inefficient. I think there's only one ounce, like one little uh, segment of CGI in the original Star Wars. And you know who actually did that? Who? Dan O'Bannon did the Death Star hologram at the end when they're all sitting in uh, the conference room and they're trying to figure out how to blow up the Death Star. Dan O'Bannon you know did that? I am almost positive that he did that. I read that somewhere. Interesting. That's that's trivia for me. And I thought I, you know, I know a lot, but I don't know everything. That's awesome. That, that little black and white diagram where the Death Star lasers in the middle and not mm -hmm. at the top where it's supposed to be. Wow. I read that he did that. Uh, yeah. That little sequence right there. You know, and, and as we we're talking about aesthetics and kind of getting it right, even in the Force Awakens, when 
um, Finn sits down at the, ch you know, at the table um, in the Falcon, um, and the chess game starts again, and you see all the little creatures, and um, it looked pretty good. I mean, they, they did stop motion animation. It looked almost, it was a little cleaner for sure, so it's not, but still, it was, ident it was it, I mean, they just nailed it. They nailed it, um, and that was something I, um, I'll talk about Star Wars a little bit, but this relates to Alien just because I, uh, in terms of aesthetics, I was, I posted something on um, a, a group called the Guild of Calamitous Intent, and I posted a picture from The Force Awakens, and I said, you know, I I, uh, I sit down with my nephew watches this all the time, and every time I walk by, I I'm spellbound, and I sit down and I watch it with him, and I said, you know, this film, it remind it 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 is the film that I grew it it has the feeling of the films that I grew up with. It's dirty, it's lived in, it's authentic, it feels like the Star Wars that I've always known and loved talk in terms of the, the original trilogy and uh he, they just nailed it despite the technology that they used and the motion capture and maz kanata being all cgi which you can't really tell she looks so good um looks like a really good puppet um they were spot on with it um and as it relates to alien or alien covenant um the sky's the limit i mean really uh, i with what you said in terms of ridley scott owning or hearing or knowing of the, crit the criticism that Prometheus has received, I think that this film is going to be uh, a bang-up job. I think it's going to be dead on point. I I would like to say the same thing, but I still think it's a little bit too early. And I, I would just like to yeah. express careful optimism with it. Yeah. yeah. I'm an irrational optimist. I always think the best of everything. Um, uh, naively so. But yeah, I mean, hey, it could suck. Absolutely. Um, but I think really, truly, um, Fox knows that this film is a gamble. Covenant is a gamble. Uh, Prometheus wasn't this big, huge hit. It was barely a hit. Barely, 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 barely hit. It probably made the studio maybe $150 million, uh, in profits. Maybe. Maybe not even quite that much. Because uh, it made like $426 million, um, worldwide and... Or no, it was 406 million worldwide and 126 million stateside. So it made its budget back and then made a little bit more. Um, so this is a gamble, and they know I think that uh, getting it right is paramount. Um, so I just, I, you could be right. I mean, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic as well. I mean, I um, we'll see when we see the first trailer, which I'm sure we'll see this year, um, probably around Christmas time. I'm thinking, um, but yeah. I, I, I know that Fox isn't comprised of people with low intelligence. There may be a few there, but uh, <laughs> if, if they're going to do this right, I, re I just think uh, they need to have their hand in a little bit of it because mm -hmm. I think Fox is responsible for some of the better science fiction films mm -hmm. that have come out of the golden era. Like, you know, Star Wars is the obvious comparison. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's the alien films. Yeah. But what it all comes down to is that it's it needs to be a blending of what the audience wants, what the director wants, and what the studio wants. And as long as all three of those can mesh together perfectly, I think Covenant's going to succeed. Yeah. It's going to be difficult to do agree. that, though. It's going to yeah. be difficult. Very. I mean, you can't, you know, you... Uh, I, I remember again going pivoting back to Star Wars: The Force Awakens. J.J. Um, Abrams, or was it Kathleen Kennedy, said to 
Lucas that we wanted to make a film for the fans. And of course, on the outset, hearing that, you're like, okay, what does that really mean? Because I've said this before on our show, fans aren't always right. What fans want are all, isn't always what's best for the film. Um, the best thing is to set out to make good art, and if it and if it succeeds, that's great. And of course, it's not just about good art. You're talking about a uh, multi-million dollar franchise, a juggernaut, uh, excuse the pun, uh, uh, a tentpole. I mean, and really, Covenant, again, is kind of a, a reboot in some ways. It's not called Prometheus 2. It's not called Prometheus Covenant. It's called Alien Covenant. It's a, it's, they're kind of rebooting themselves to some degree um, with some ties to Prometheus. Um, so, and I, again, you know, a lot of times what I see with fans talking about are Colonial Marines, Colonial Marines. And the, I don't, I think they can reintroduce maybe the Colonial Marines in a way that's awesome and that's unique and it's not retreading what we saw in Aliens. Well, but, Defiance is kind of starting to do that, the comic, if you got the chance to pick it up. I have not, this, this is not not a film, not a film or anything. This is a, a comic. Yeah, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I think that the Colonial Marines. I mean, they're 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 uh, the sweetheart of the fans. I mean, uh, all the fans love the Marines, and I think uh, they love the Marines because they can connect to them, they can relate to them. They're real people. Um, it's not just a, oh, hey, guns and uh, blowing shit up. It's, no, no, these are people that I relate to. Vasquez is somebody, even, I mean, I, I was never in service, but I relate to Vasquez. I relate to who she is. Um, uh, she, somewhat, she is someone that inspires me as much, in a similar way that Ripley inspires me. Um, so I think that they can go back. But I, I don't always think what the fans want is always what the film needs. Um, it's a tricky thing, like you were saying. It's, it's, it's a meshing or a melding of of those three things that you were talking about. And um, it takes a really smart writer and a really smart studio to be able to listen to what a good writer is saying, what's important, and to what a good director is saying as to what's important, and to what the fans are saying as to what's important for them. Um, and doing a little bit of fan pandering, but not so much like, and I think maybe giving us the alien and the eggs again is probably a bit of a fan pandering um, in relation to Prometheus, where people are like, come on, this is an alien film, just... Stop saying it isn't. It is. We know it. We're intelligent. We've been following these films for a long time, you know? Right, right. I think what it all boils down to is the fans' perception of what they want an alien film to be and whether or not uh, Alien Covenant will uh, fit that mold. Mm -hmm. And while I still am firm with the fact that it's way too early to get any serious guesses on things... Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet that this is going to be more closer to Alien than anything we've seen before. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, I'm still fascinated as to what, you know, Ridley Scott was quoted as saying that this film connects to Ripley. And he said, but I'm not going to tell you how. Um, I'm fascinating as to how that I'm fascinated as to how that's going to happen and whether it's going to be in the in the form of she's part of a family that where there's going to be someone with the last name Ripley on the ship, which if they do that, I'll be like, no, don't do that. We, we have a Ripley. We don't need another one. Um, or maybe it's uh, a mother of hers uh, who doesn't have that last name because she's not married. I don't know, but I don't know how they're going to connect it to Ripley. Um, so it, it'll be Well, there's, there's about 30, 30 odd years between Prometheus and Alien, so there's definitely some wiggle room. Yeah. And, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character, well, Sigourney Weaver was just about 30 when she filmed Alien. Um, she was 29. Um, 
So it's about the time that whoever her mother is, is pregnant with her, whoever she is, whether that's on Earth, who knows? Um, well, she was born on the moon. At, uh, oh, it's that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to put some type of relative of Ripley's, whether it's her father or whoever, in this film. I really do. Which I'll be kind of ambivalent about if they do, because we, we, we have a Ripley. We don't need another one. It might be a little bit too heavy handed. Um, but whatever. That's my kind of skepticism or cynicism about um, what might happen. But uh, I, I, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait either. I'm willing to be patient with my waiting, but <laughs> I just, I just want to, I'm not, I'm kidding. I, I would like to see the film, but I want them to do it right. So I'm willing to wait. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think all good things, all things of value take, take a while. And that's everything. Um, I'm going to read this last quote by Fassbender in his interview. Cause I think it's important. Um, he says, you have this futuristic world where people are eating noodles because that seems to be the cheaper food and something that will fill you up. But it's also something that harkens, that harks back to the past. The weaving of those two things, past and future, together for an interesting world that we can aspire to but also recognize something in it. Fascinating. A real, that's a real window into the aesthetic of what they're going for. They're really going for something authentic and relatable. Because arguably in Prometheus there's nothing relatable. Um, it was cool looking, but it wasn't relatable, you know. Um, Vicar's pod, her survival pod, or whatever you call the thing, was cool, but it wasn't relatable, you know. Um, it was like this, you know, one percenters um, boudoir somewhere in space, you know. Oh, wow, it's really cool, but I don't, you know, I can't relate to that kind of space. So I, I, I'm so excited about what we're going to see. You could kind of see elements of, of what you were touching at in the mess hall in the Prometheus, which is the way people spoke to each other and what they were eating and that sort of thing. Yeah. But a lot of it has to do with just uh, the lack of creature comforts in such a futuristic setting. Yeah. And and I think a more authentic, gritty, lived-in look would offer less creature comforts. Oh yeah, certainly. And um, you know, you—that's a good—that's a good point you make. And it's a—I'm working on a video for our podcast, and it's going to be—it's called uh, the the um, the anatomy of a scene. And I'm going to break down the breakfast scene, the first breakfast scene from Alien, and when they first wake up, through to when the end of the scene where they're eating, and how brilliant the scene is. How at some, in some ways, inconsequential it is, but at the same time it's one of the most important scenes and how they're kind of lacking of creature comforts themselves. They're in a small ship in a small little dining area. There's not a lot. There's everything's kind of synthetic or, or fake, but they're, you know, they're just normal people waking up and trying to see what's going on. And, um, but it's so relatable and so lived in and so familiar to me and to us, um, that, you know, I'll unveil that hopefully sometime this coming week, but, uh, yeah, we'll see if, uh, Covenant kind of reflects that to some degree. Absolutely. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> no worries. But uh, yeah, I, I really think in order to be successful visually and tying into the story, uh, Covenant really needs to borrow some from Blade Runner, Alien, Outland, all the classic science fiction films that are mm -hmm. just really gritty. 
Yeah. Even even like uh, something that's not science fiction, like Escape from New York. Like you just look at that, and that just oozes substance. Yeah. Yeah. There's and a that yeah. is so eighties. Yeah. There's a texture to it. There's a texture to the actual film that feels like you could reach into it. I mean, it was the same way with you know the original trilogy, the original Untouched trilogy of Star Wars. Um, where it, there was something textural about it, where you could just, like with the uh, the Jawa scene when they're buying R2 and C-3PO, um, Uncle Owen, and there's garbage all over, and it's just not pretty, and it just it looks like kind of like you drive by like the trailer trash or, or, or the whatever, or, you know, up certain neighborhoods where people don't keep up their lawn and there's garbage all over. That's the reality. That's what we live in. Um, right. And uh, that's something that we can relate to, like, where we've seen that before, maybe not on Tatooine, but in our own backyard, you know. Um, so I love that quality. And I really think it's important. I, I think I even think like with even with um, Kubrick's 2001, it was pristine. Um, it was very kind of sanitized, but they were also weren't this was these were doctors and scientists going into space. It wasn't like. Uh, it wasn't this like um, group of like Joe Blows just kind of going somewhere. So it made sense, but it also felt really authentic the way that Kubrick designed, executed, and built those sets. It felt this is it just even when he's walking down the corridor and he sits down with all these people, and he starts talking. It felt like it felt like an airport. It felt really real. Um, and uh, I, I so I that is so so important that the audience be able to relate to everything on screen. The audience isn't just saying, oh, this is pretty, because pretty isn't going to do anything for you, or even cool isn't going to do anything for you. It's, can I relate to this? That's what's going to do it. Hmm. I yeah, I, I think um, I think our generation and our society uh, categorically has a fascination with retrofuturism anyway. Mm-hmm. So when we watch films like 2001 or Alien or Blade Runner or even going back further like uh, Metropolis and just things like that, you watch that and you have to consider, wow, this is what people thought the future would look like. We're living yeah. that now and it's nothing like that. Yeah. But yeah. I, <laughs> so I think a lot of us, um, we have an interest in the retrofuturism simply because it shows a future that we never had. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why people get so drawn into these uh, science fiction films, because it's something that we can relate to and that the hope for a better future doesn't always end up being like that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even in some regards, like our technology, how what our technology is right now, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing what we have. Our tablets just... Uh, our phones, um, how future, futuristic society is right now. I mean, we are living in this unparalleled future. I mean, we've had a a burst of um, technological design and implementation execution, unlike we've ever seen. It's like it was like the industrial era, but it's for you know like the digital industrial era. Um, so there, we, we're living, I mean, just even the cars are coming out, like maybe they can't fly, but they can do some pretty amazing things, um, like park themselves and come to you like the Tesla. Um, it's, it's fascinating. So I think in some regards, um, we're, we're past 
what like a film like Alien or Aliens or Blade Runner were past some of those things. Even the aesthetics of Blade Runner you can see in Los Angeles today if you go downtown. I shit you not. You go downtown Los Angeles, it's like this wasteland. It's like you're in another country. And there's all these vendors out there and it's dirty and there's all these old buildings and especially at night, it is Blade Runner come to life. I kid you not. Well, I, I think any any big city or even mildly big city at night has a lot to do with that cyberpunk aesthetic. Yeah, well, not like I mean, I've lived in Chicago, and you go downtown Chicago at night, and it's still clean and pristine, and you don't see any homeless people. I mean, you might see one or two, but Los Angeles is a whole different beast. Los Angeles, um, the downtown of Los Angeles is essentially abandoned. Um, there are people who live there. There are shops amid these abandoned places or seemingly abandoned places. Um, and then you have all of the poor, all of the vendors, all of kind of society's cast off roaming the streets. Um, I, 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 am it is my point or my efforts to do a photo essay on this. Eventually go downtown and shoot some of the stuff because it is blade runner come to life, not in every respect. Um, but in many respects. Um, but so it's interesting to kind of see how, where we are, as to where they said we might be, and we're we are at some places, um, but um, of course we don't have flying cars yet. Um, that probably will happen soon. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe we'll <laughs> see spinners. Yeah. Um, well, did you see that? Uh, the there's this guy who built this hoverboard uh, with using drones, um, and it's fucking amazing. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, this technology is here. Um, it just has to be perfected, and it's going to be mass-marketed, and who knows where we're going to go. Well, I think the problem with a lot of the current technology, as opposed to the science fiction of yesteryear, is you notice in a lot of the old science fiction films, the companies that are making these highly advanced products, they don't give two fucks about the people who own them. Yeah. Whereas today, we're in such this politically correct society where everybody has to be like safe from everything. Mm -hmm. especially with our products, you know, we could have a lot of the stuff that they have in, say, Alien or Blade Runner, but it has to be tested, it has to be approved, it has to go through all these political jump ropes and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of it has to do with the world we live in, and maybe that is why we don't have some of the technology that science fiction presents us. Yeah. Because it's just not safe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. Safe and tested and all that stuff. But uh, it's an, I, I tell you, it's a really exciting time to be alive as a, a fan of science fiction. I'm not just a fan of science fiction. I'm like, it's my life. It consumes me. I, I love it. I, I love, like you said, that, that future, what was the term you used? Retrofuturism. Retro, yeah, yeah, retrofuturism. I mean, I, I love it. I, I, I live and breathe it. Um, Blade Runner is just, if I could live in Blade Runner, I would. Um, but, uh, and it's, it'll be exciting to see kind of to pivot back to alien covenant and in some, in some ways, maybe bloom camps alien, if it happens, um, which I guess it is, um, see how they bring that back to us in a way that's familiar, but in a way that's authentic and in a way that we can root for it. Um, and it's funny cause I think about like the audience and, um, of course, Bill, William Robbie, who is the founder of the Wayland Utani Bulletin, friend of mine, friend of yours, um, I know he was, you know, horribly let down by Prometheus, but I, I always think about him because I think um, I, I want the fans to be excited about the, 
the journey again about uh, about the universe. And I really hope that with Covenant, um, so especially Covenant, because we won't see Bloomkamp's Alien probably for another two or three years, um, if even. Yeah, ho- hopefully sooner though, because Ripley or Sigourney Weaver is going to be seventy in three years. Um, so they have to film this movie like tomorrow. Like it needs to start. They need to start production in the next year in order for it to be plausible. Unless they do a de aging thing that they did with um, what's his name, uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark, um, Robert Downey Jr. They de aged. Have you seen uh, Civil War? No, I have not. Well, I'm not giving anything away. But there's a scene where he is 30 years younger, and uh, it's Robert Downey Jr. And they use something on his face to de age him, and it's phenomenal. They could totally do that with Sigourney Weaver. Absolutely, do that to her, um, and uh, de-age her a little bit, just to, you know, just to kind of make it a little bit more authentic. Not that I, I mean, I think she looks great, but there's going to be the, the that kind of aura of disbelief that if we if we see this kind of older woman um, battling this these aliens, it's going to come it's going to come off as ridiculous. Like really, you know. Um, but they're smart people. Bloom Camp is smart. Rip Sigourney Weaver is smart. I think Fox has some smart people there, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Definitely. I was just reading about the uh, de-aging process that they did on uh, Tony Stark. It yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, it was so good. I mean, oh, my God. Like, it was flawless. Absolutely flawless. Like, I, it's amazing. Like, it'll be amazing to see where that technology... Because they've used it before. They did it in an, X film, an, X, an X-Men film. They did it with... Uh, um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, um, where they de-aged them. It wasn't perfected at that point. They looked good, but you could tell that it was a bit digital. Um, but it, well, um, it was convincing. I, I think a pretty good example is what the recent Terminator films have done. You know, yeah. Love them or hate them. I thought Terminator Salvation did a really good job. Yes, I agree. Bringing Arnold into the picture. You, you couldn't even tell that that wasn't him. Yeah, I agree. So... If they use that kind of similar technology to bring Ripley into the picture or Hicks or somebody, I mean, you figure with the way technology is now, I'm sure it wouldn't take much, it wouldn't take a long time for a studio to make like a 3D scan of Hicks and Ripley from 1986 using like the resource pictures, the continuity photos. Even even footage from the movie, kind of like how uh, Forrest Gump did like 27 years ago. If you just use that technology, you could definitely bring younger-looking Ripley and younger-looking Hicks into the yeah. picture. Not that they look bad right now. They yeah, they don't. They look good. I mean, uh, uh, Michael Bean is seven years younger than... I think he just turned 60. He's seven years younger than... Um, Sigourney Weaver. I mean, he looks older for sure, as she does, you know. Um, and I, I saw a picture of the poor thing, Sigourney Weaver, the other day, and she was meeting some fan of hers whose first name is Ripley. Um, and Sigourney Weaver didn't have any makeup on it. And it was just not a flattering photo of her. I know, like, who knows? She just could have w- woken up, you know. These people go through quite a bit to kind of make themselves up and look good. But it didn't do her any favors. I'm not an ageist at all. I think women are amazing. They can rock. I think she can bring it, like just like she brought it before. Um, my concern is that it's going to have to be plausible in terms of her aging. Um, it's going to really, they're really going to have to um, do it right uh, so that we can believe it and get behind it. Not that we're like, oh, she's old. Screw her. Not that. It's just you see this kind of obviously older 
60s, early 70s woman running after these aliens. We're going to be like, oh, it's Ripley. She's fighting an alien. She's 70. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I trust him. I do. Uh, hopefully we'll see that film soon. I am really hoping that we do see it soon. Well, um, so this is a shorter episode for us. We just felt like we needed to address the news of the day. It's pretty big. It's a pretty big revelation from Fassbender um, in terms of the aesthetic and what they're going for. Um, it sat me right up in my seat. Initially, I kind of blew off the comment because I thought, oh, it's only just that one comment that he made. Of course, because I didn't read the article. And then I went and read it. Um, I, I committed a, a social media sin. Um, I judged an article based off not reading it. Um, but yeah, and I just felt like we needed to talk about it and get this out today and uh, let people come to their own conclusions. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd thanks for listening, a- everybody. Yes. And uh, we'll have another episode sooner rather than later um, that we're going to be recording this next week. So I would call that a wrap. Thank you, everybody. Yeah.